0: Welcome to the Planet Storytime Podcast, where we use the power of our imagination to create the pictures in our mind for some of the best stories ever told. I'm your host, Thomas Mitchell. Today, we bring you our stellar podcast of the best Planet Storytime stories you've never heard. You see, since Paxton and I started bringing you stories here on Planet Storytime last fall, our audience has grown considerably. We are now being listened to in over 50 countries around the world, and we can't thank you enough for your support. Some of the stories we played early on in our podcast haven't had the chance to be listened to quite as much as some of our newer stories. So we thought we'd give some of these older stories a chance to shine once again. Today's stellar podcast features three stories by T.M. Ganim called Crow and Beetle, The Lazy Man and the Squirrel, and How the Bald Man Came to Be, along with two stories by the Brothers Grimm called Brementown Musicians and Hans in Luck. All of these stories show us how being our best selves helps us solve even the worst of problems. Now, if you can, take a deep breath in and hold it. And let it out. Now, we're ready for today's stories. Remember to see the pictures in your head as you listen to the stories. I hope you enjoy it. The Crow and the Beetle by T.M. Gannam In a thick and thriving wood, abound with creatures of all variety, lived a certain crow and beetle with a rather peculiar relationship. If it were up to the crow, there wouldn't be any relationship at all, except for that of dinner and diner. The beetle would be the dinner, and the crow would be the diner. If it were up to the beetle, there wouldn't be any relationship at all either, other than, Hello there, very well, and have a good day. But you see, the crow had a special taste for beetle creatures, and so desired to have this particular beetle for either breakfast, lunch, or dinner. Not that the crow couldn't find other beetles for its dining needs, but this particular beetle posed a rather remarkable challenge. You see, this beetle was of a certain splendid cleverness that made it quite difficult to be taken for food. No, it was not just another beetle. This beetle was an ever-evolving riddle, Mm. and one the crow was determined to solve. But before any of this riddle business started, things were much simpler. I'll try to bring you back to the very beginning of their story together. The very first day they met, the beetle was out and about on one of its daily explorers, drinking dewdrops that pool on accommodating leaves and gathering sticks that might look like handy reinforcements to the home nest. When the crow spotted the beetle, ever hungry, the crow saw a delicious midday meal in the plump insect. A bit of a show creature, The crow enjoyed making a presentation of its dining conquests. The crow swept in, wings in full swoop and flutter, creating a gust that rose the wee beetle off its front four feet, the final two clutching at the floor. Good day, said the crow. That is, good day for me, for I shall enjoy a juicy beetle feast, truly. "'One of my favorites,' the crow uttered grandly with a smug, beaky smile, and then paused for the beetle's reaction. The beetle gently blinked while its clever mind tried to devise a plan to avoid being a snack for the presumptuous crow. "'Oh, well, uh, that will be just fine,' said the beetle agreeably. ''Indeed, I feel so much better now that most, I would say most, of my terrible sickness has left my body.'' It said as gently as it did slowly. ''Fabulous!'' bellowed the crow. ''Well, then I... uh, wait, wait just a moment. Terrible sickness. You mentioned something about a terrible sickness in your body?'' ''Oh, yes, yes, terrible indeed.'' Quite the horror. I'm sure it's nothing and most likely won't interfere with the pleasantness of your meal. And then the beetle looked somber and with a half-scrunched face appeared to be pushing something out of its grand diminutive frame and then looked upward and around. There was no sound, only the suggestion of one. Uh, Perhaps some bitter notes, but I doubt it will cause any real significant stomach pain. "'You mean tummy aches?' "'I do so hate tummy aches,' whispered the crow. "'Oh, yes, yes. Stomach pain is also commonly referred to as tummy aches,' the beetle said earnestly. "'Ahem, well, I see,' said the crow, pretending not to sound disappointed. Rallying, he echoed, "'But you are feeling much better, you say?' "'Oh, yes, considering how severely this illness announced itself, "'we can only hope it's gone now and won't come back,' the beetle paused. "'Like last time?' "'Last time?' "'Oh, goodness, yes,' smarted the beetle. "'Out of nowhere like a fierce ocean wave.'" "'Fierce ocean wave?' "'embarked the crow so soft as to not incite one. "'But what is life if not to engage some risk?' lit the beetle. Risk, indeed, mounted the crow. You know, it seems that I, too, might be suffering from a bit of a, a bug, shall we say. Uh, while I would happily devour you effortlessly at this moment, I'm thinking the better of it. Ah, uh, How's about a rain check? Oh, well, suit yourself, supported the beetle. When you are feeling presently well, simply come calling and hopefully the hawks won't be sailing around looking for their next meal as well. Hawks? caught the crow. Such a number of them that do so enjoy this part of the wood, but as danger may be everywhere, we might as well go about our business just the same, and don't you agree?' Uh, yes, uh, quite, managed the crow. Feeling suddenly so tired and defeat and desperate for a shift, it took to the air before issuing, Until we meet again. <laughs> lengthened by the distance, as the crow sifted away through the moist sunbaked air, back to its easy nest for a wee contemplation and fast snooze on an empty tongue. Meanwhile, the beetle in a flit jerked back into its nest and in the way of gathering oneself, bounced its breath down to a slow, steady catch of air and took to gazing at itself in a wee mirror made of a piece of broken, clear soda bottle. It is very unbecoming of one to lie, the beetle scolded itself, holding its eyes in a cold stare. Indeed, the beetle was not feeling ill at all. And there were no more hawks in this part of the wood than anywhere else. And then the beetle reminded itself that it was also unbecoming to scold oneself. That crow is going to eat me. It would definitely have been unbecoming to be eaten and digested. Though reckoning further, the beetle swung again. Though to lie is to foul against nature, and if scolding oneself fouls also, I should at least attempt to make good on things. But how? The beetle tapped its pincers, thinking, thinking. That crow, how obnoxiously proud! But of course, who can begrudge a spot of hunger? And we all have our favorite flavors, the beetle empathized. "'I wouldn't doubt Beetle being among the best,' the Beetle conceded humbly. "'And there's no doubt that the crow's hunger shall return.' And then suddenly the Beetle erupted. "'I have just the thing.' Like a charge of lightning, it darted to its backyard where, lining the perimeter, was literally a self-made fence about which the beetle's own discarded shells shed for its entire life, lay in consecutive order adjacent to one another, forming its own private barrier, circumambulating the wee property. The strong desire to right the wrong of falsehood allowed the beetle to suffer an opening in the enclosure and carefully remove one of the shells, leaving a section open to the wild wood. Eagerly, the beetle shimmied to the stove and applied the oven to an ample swell, and then straightway took to crushing the shell pestle to mortar. The beetle then reached for jars containing the sweets of maple sap and persimmon, the sour of crabapples and marjoram, and the bitters of walnut and sycamore bark, and mixed the bunch into a potent mass upon which it poured the thick cream of milkweed stock, and stirred it to a puffy quaff, and then transported the batch to a baking tin, and added it to the oven, judging the time for three whippoorwill calls. The beetle waited for a spell as the forest considered the evening and waited and then it heard the distant happy call. Ah, all done! The beetle exclaimed after checking the pie by inserting its left foreleg. Clean as a whistle! The beetle carefully removed the piping hot confection and set it on the edge of the stovetop to cool. Has the crow ever sampled beetle-shell pie before? The beetle wondered. The beetle quickly packed up the sweet and savory pie and fastened it to the traveling harness and then the harness to its regal body and followed its extraordinary sense of smell to the crow's roost. Upon arriving, the beetle observed the crow staring blankly through a rhomboid crevice in the hearty sticks of the nest, as if pondering the absurdity of life, until the drag of the beetle's approaching feet startled the crow's head back to face the beetle, whose smile and outstretched legs presented, "'Beetle Shell Pie!' The crow jumped upright and towered over the gracious beetle, who confidently ordered the crow to, Sit down, please, and won't you? The crow, miffed by such presumption, screeched, Beetle, the nerve to find me at my branch and command me in my nest. Ah, quite the same as you did me. Quite. We'll be right back. Hey, parents. Yeah, you. Are you looking for a podcast your kids will really love? Well, we made one just for you. And for us. As genuine all-natural kids ourselves, we know what makes a fun and interesting podcast. So we decided to make it ourselves. Every show is packed with interviews, stories, and on-the-ground reporting. We have interviewed everyone from scientists to Grammy award-winning musicians to NFL quarterbacks. Listen to Wild Interest wherever you get your podcasts. The Beetle Observed. Uh, uh, <clears throat> Stammered the crow, and to you I bring food, whereas you would mmm take me as food. Isn't that right? I, I. The crow found no words with which to respond. No matter to speak of it. We all do what we must to survive. But wouldn't it be so much better if we were to do so kindly? Yes. Anywho, that is why I am here today, actually. I am trying to survive the kindest way I can, the beetle said, attempting to sound pleasant, and cleared its wee throat and rescued. Shall you some beetle shell pie? Made from my own shell three springs ago. I am sure you'll enjoy it. There was a long pause before the crow could speak. Oh, my dripped the crow slowly, realizing what was happening. "'So terribly kind!' The crow's eyes moistened as its elegant beaks delicately clasped the pie tin and gently transferred it to the table. "'Please, have some!' encouraged the beetle. The crow was still in the way of one collecting oneself, and paused further. "'Won't you join me?' "'requested the crow, hopefully. "'Oh, no, thank you,' said the beetle gently. "'I must never get too full of myself. "'It is all for you. "'I realize you would prefer to have the whole of me, "'but I am simply not quite that generous of a soul.' "'Oh, dear me,' the crow interrupted. "'I believe you are quite generous indeed,' "'and snatched a morsel of the pie,' with its long beak. Hmm, fabulous, issued the crow, tilting its noble head from side to side, and continued, perhaps not quite so fabulous as dining real flesh, and something about the juicy parts. The crow went on perhaps too liberally, and upon realizing this, pinched its stout tongue between the tips of its beak to suspend yet another word. Seeing the look in the crow's eye, the beetle determined its work there was done, and started to sashay to the edge of the branch and offered farewell. Until next time, the beetle called, firming up its harness and scuttling away. Until next... But before the crow could utter full reciprocity, it saw the wee beetle suddenly descended upon by an ornery robin who nipped the whirlwinded beetle between its beaky clasps and began to lift off when the indignant crow instinctively slapped the air vigorously with its lengthy wings and called a mighty shriek that stunned the robin into releasing his clench. Suspending the beetle in mid-air for three flaps of the departing robin's wings until the now-falling beetle pulled out its seldom-used pocket wings and elegantly navigated the tree's upper limbs until the beetle lit safely, not to mention handsomely, on a fat bough several feet below the crow's nest. The crow looked down at the beetle. The beetle stared up at the crow. The crow and the beetle held stare in a shared knowing that theirs was a strange yet special relationship. The beetle tipped its pincers at the crow and began to descend the tree back to its home in the inner nook of the forest. "'Until next time,' called the crow, watching what would have been such a delicious meal simply walk away. The crow thought that despite the beetle's kindness and despite the crow's own brand of heroism, the crow still wasn't convinced it could repeat such restraint upon their next encounter. Uh, and I shall cross that bridge when I come to it. The crow consoled itself and began feasting upon the beetle-shell pie with great delight, with both the crow and the beetle living to see another day. The Squirrel and the Lazy Man by T.M. Gannam Once there was an oh-so-terribly-lazy man. He wasn't always so, but once he had worked hard enough to live quite comfortably, he began to rely on those around him to make all the labor. Good for him, his wife was a very hard worker. She kept the household running, and thank goodness she had the children to help her. The children would ask their mom, the mama, How come Pops our Papa is so very lazy? Well, children, Mama replied, He says he has done his work and his work is done. I've done my work and my work is done, The Papa would bellow. Why, just look at this house and patch our full Tums. We've done our work. Our work is done. Oh, there is more, there is more, the family would implore. The leaves haven't been raked in days, more than two score, and the house it needs paint, our cupboards are faint, and you hear nothing of our daily complaint. Pop sniffed and dismissed, yet moms would persist. And while the list is long, and with so long a list, I still must insist that near the top must be this very high priority. And that would be? The squirrels! The squirrels, dear man, in the Attachee! In the Attachee? "'Why, that couldn't be. "'I swept up there once and didn't see a squirrel or bat or bumblebee. "'Twas a time ago indeed, but time is fast and it's seldom so "'that a thing should change and I don't know.' "'It is so, it is so,' said mami O. I "'I hear them scratching high while try I might to sleep below. "'Well, what would you have me do? "'I'm at a loss the same as you. "'From whence they came, I'm sure they'll shoo.' "'And so it went. "'The days were spent speaking not and doing not "'to address what one could only guess "'was a rather extraordinary rodent mess "'that lay just feet above their heads.' not to mention the other things that Pops chose to leave to the honey and the underlings, like the trash and the dishes and the extending of birthday wishes. He was not to be bothered. I am not to be bothered. Isn't it enough that I've fathered and spent a family man's time making a whole life for my children and my wife? Let them do their share. For truth, it's only fair. Leave me be, I do not care. Well, as it goes, our words and deeds, it would seem, are not always met with a response from this world, at least not straight away. Indeed, sometimes the sun, seas, and sky must take time to abide the words we spew just as an aside. But once they have, as in its course, we may as well saddle up the horse of our own feeding and ride the tides that we've inscribed on said sun, season, and sky and get to heeding the lessons that for us the world styles. And true to form, the day had come for Pops to reckon with more than some of the seeds he'd sown, unseen by him, but by now fully grown." Now his family, already away, had started the day with the sun at its rise and began to make hay. But this man had no design to break his recline, and it wasn't until he heard a knock and a scratch and an unhumanly tap, along with the unmistakable fill of a squirrel's shrill-trill, that his eyes opened one, two, "'and he saw what he saw with no idea what to do. "'He sat up from his bed, and he stared head to head "'squarely at a squirrel at his bedstead edge. "'The squirrel was plump with a fuzzy round rump, "'festooned with a tail full of fluff. "'Its nose shifted side to side with a teeny sniff and snuff, "'and there hung a bloated belly like a king "'who'd eaten quite enough.' and black eyes that shot like darts just inches away from those of Pops, who for the first time in a while looked quite alert, like he could run a mile. The two stared at each other, still and ready, both hoping to devise a plan simple, not too heady, when Pops couldn't help but have his nose tickled by the tree rat's pelt and let out a sneeze whose great achoo! sent the squirrel running around and through the entire bedroom as the Pops jumped to his feet on top of his bed and danced to the tune of the wee beast's tread, which he hoped would not traipse across his bare feet, body, or the tip of his head. The pandemonium sustained a frantic refrain until the Pops found a broom and with a wave and swoop "'forced an intimidating strain on the squirrel's wee brain "'as it searched every corner for a hole or a drain "'or some kind of opening that might offer a lane "'to exit the house and return ne'er again. "'But the chaos continued until the man with the spirit of fright sprung open the windows as quick as he might,' It wasn't long afore the rascally rodent, under such dire duress, made its way out through the newfound egress and dashed away and away for to catch its own breath. Indeed, the Pops, too, had his own breath to settle and closed up the windows. For another intrusion, he had not the mettle. Oh, the mess the squirrel left in every room of the house could be blamed on nothing so small as a mouse, and his family, to return home quite soon, most likely, would be shocked to see the house looking this brand unsightly, not to mention the fool's cap he felt at the hand he had dealt. So with the broom still in hand, he took to sweeping, and if anyone was there, they would see him start weeping, for he realized right there and then that he was hardly a steward of his family's home den. And though it was true he worked hard in his day, his sloth had taken over and led him astray. As he toiled to clean, he thought of his dear honey and all that she did, and his nose became runny and dripped on his bib. And the kids who were kids and just kids after all shouldn't have to labor while his efforts laid stall. So he made a pact. Yes, a contract with himself that he would labor on and put on no shelf the work of the day, the work that keeps coming and coming so his family and household would e'er keep happily humming. The End How the Bald Man Came to Be by T.M. Ganem. Once long ago in the ancient times when humans were oh so gloriously close to this world, there were three men of a distinct privilege— in all of the very few villages that existed on the young earth, there were no other males with such spectacularly fabulous hair. Strikingly grand headdresses, each of the three with its own unique brand. Flankel True had a hair of a stern, mighty nest, black as midnight with a heavenly sheen. Its threads a tight curl, an explosion of rings that sat a proud perch, bold and wide though equally magnificent, was that of Flippelschlieff. His hair was impressively long and completely straight, a thick curtain of white cords that hung like a clergic robe and moved like a wave rebounding in a splash across his shoulders. And then there was the hair of Fleed. His mane was just as extraordinary in its lustrously feathered vibrato of curl shimmying with traumatic volume and a cornucopia of strings ranging from lights to darks in a spirit shine of color. Each of the three a king's hair no one would contest, though the three would argue that theirs each own was the best. Now, while the rest of the world was busy at its business, the three would arrive at the town vanity for their grooming, where they would apply fine brushes and combs, oils and herbal treatments that spirited their lofted bouquets to an even brighter ring. At the vanity, there was a waterfall of a perfectly fine sheet that hung thin and low and reflected with crystal clarity all that stood before it. There the three would stand and stare at themselves, and their majestic streams swoosh their swooshes, swing their heads to one side, looking down, ahead, and askance, interfacing with their own reflections, in play exchanges as if they were another in awe of themselves and their handsome harmony of hair, eyes a lightning flash, surveying the beauty that possessed them, and then to each other they would offer their commentary. How could you not think that a regal nest such as mine is the finest, questioned Flonkel True. These bold drapes are inimitably grand, can you not see? Fleeplesheaf would say with conviction. My powerful ripples make one stand in awe. Is that not plain? Exhorted Fleed. While the rest of the world continued at its business, the men would go on and on, concerned with nothing but their appearance and the constant joy it brought them. Though as the world digests the pith of human dealings, it seeks ever balance on the whole. And while these three men, blessed with such follicular largesse, made use of their lives in the adoration of their sublime bundles, this simply wouldn't do with the business of the world needing to be done. Now, there are creatures called Reckoners who can't be seen. They floated above the world and reckoned the fates of time and space. They handled many cases, always pursuing the reckonings that would spring the most good for not only our world, but the whole cosmos. Now, in the case of these three being so obsessed with their looks, the Reckoners couldn't help but reckon that they were appalled. They couldn't help but chuckle just a bit, I mean, really. But these reckoners reckoned that the three men must see an alternative to their obsession, which would help them be much better off, for, after all, at the day's end, our deeds outlive our dues. So they conjured what they hoped would be a good example to help the three consider things differently. They produced a man strikingly bald, but for a ridge of fuzz, strapped ear to ear midway along the back of his head, his dome otherwise stretched in gleaming skin. Here, this man could serve as a model of one who could manage with scarce cranial adornment. Even at the first roll out of bed, there wasn't a frowsered hair to correct, And so it was the day could be instantly tended, dispensing all prep work to render himself presentable. Rather, the bald man presented as he was, his plain and naked head laid bare to the world, unapologetic and proud, the hairless orb casting a smart reflection at the spill of light any time of day. Now, the three men laden with their luxurious locks gazed upon this newly conjured man as they saw him walking the streets conspicuously in their path. They couldn't help but stare, struck by such a fierce curiosity. Why, what tragedy has befallen this poor fellow? inquired flunkle true A most unfortunate accident, I'm sure, concluded Fleeplesheaf. The horror, whispered Fleed. Though, as they saw the bald man stride with an oblivious confidence, they began to smirk at his unwittingness. Doesn't he realize he's bald as a coot? Why, he rides his head high for all to see. They couldn't understand the mindset that would allow oneself to exist in this way. The reckoners looked down at the three and realized their shining example of hairlessness was doing nothing to open the minds of these superficial souls, and a more drastic measure would need to be implemented. Upon their night's sleep, the reckoners reckoned a dissolution of the three sturdy head covers and made for a fading and a thinning of each of the tremendous bonnets, making for a balding in process in each of the three though the men slept on without noticing. Waking up without a care in the world, the three men began their typical march to the town vanity, whereupon arriving and gazing upon themselves, they thought something to be wrong with the mirrored waterfall. The image it was reflecting was in no way themselves, or so they thought, until they looked more closely and realized the dissipation of their steady manes That is, a balding. Why, something has happened. I see holes where no holes have been before, observed Flonkel True. Oh, no. Oh, no, was all that Fleepleschief could muster. This is not happening, asserted Fleed. They sought all perspective points of view to unsee what they were seeing, but it was true. There was something askew with each of their dues. Truly, they were going bald. Quick came the panic, and the hurried walk home past the public eye, their newfound holes taking in a draft of air never felt before what are we to do Uh, uh, how could this happen how can we go on but go on they must and where there is a will to be a being is surely willed once they returned home they paced about positing explanations for their severe dilemma but mostly they lamented but if my hair is not then who am I and just then there was a knock upon the door. The three peered out the window to see the bald man, who, little had they realized, would no longer be a stranger. They welcomed the man in, and there was such a shared knowing that all four sat and started to have tea even before the first mention of the word hair, or lack thereof. And then their words spewed forth, How can one manage? Is there a cure? Will we have to move away? Uh, no, 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 issued the bald man disgustedly. Oh, "'Goodness gracious, and uh, me, oh my, and I tell you, I never. Oh, "'What in the world are you talking about? Uh, "'How can one manage? Oh, "'Let me tell ye, gentlemen, there is no real hardship here. "'The only hardship you're feeling is in your mind. "'Now, therein lies the cure,' the bald man said, pointing to his crown. And move away, uh, move away, all right, move away from the mirror, and start living your life. It doesn't matter what you look like, it's who you are, it's how you do, not this kind of do. He said, pointing at his head where his do was not. Now settle in, boys, you're here and you're now, and all that is just simply is. The world needs your help, not your hair. Now go and help yourselves out. Live free of how you look. But let it be said, there is splendor in our appearance, and there's no shame in enjoying it a bit. For, as they say, vanity is thy portion. But now there is splendor as well in the head that is bald. A dome liberated of hair is like riding a chariot with the top down. Enjoy the wind on your noggin And the sun on your closed eyes As you smile real big And soak in the ride of life And always remember Bald is beautiful Inspired, the three were renewed With a flush of vim and a vigor And were determined to embrace this whole life And their whole persons Not just their reflections In fact, as they did this They began to see the beauty in every single one, from the people of all sizes, shapes, colors, and tongues, to the little and big wonders of the world in all their cosmic glory. And while the holes in their headspreads grew wider, so too did their wisdom, as did their contributions to the world, so much so that they humbly embraced the gratitude of not just being oh so beautiful, but of just simply being, and just how beautiful— It is to simply be. Indeed, they went on to become noblemen, as they had learned the true value of life that resonates for all, that we should think not so much of ourselves, but rather to appreciate the beauty within us and all around us, to give our love every which way, and to bask in the gratitude of being what we are. And that is why we still refer to the bald man today as noble-headed, So, always remind yourself what the noble-headed know, that no matter what you are, you are beautiful. And no matter how you be, be it properly, be it kindly, and be it no one but yourself. The End The Bremen Town Musicians A certain man had a donkey which had carried the corner sacks to the mill indefatigably for many a long year. But his strength was going, and he was growing more and more unfit for work. Then his master began to consider how he might best save his keep. But the donkey, seeing that no good wind was blowing, ran away and set out on the road to Bremen. There, he thought, I can surely be town musician." When he had walked some distance, he found a hound lying on the road, gasping like one who had run till he was tired. "'What are you gasping so for, you big fella?' asked the donkey. "'Ah,' replied the hound, "'as I am old and daily grow weaker and no longer can hunt, "'my master wanted to kill me, so I took to flight. "'But now how am I to earn my bread? "'I tell you what!' "'said the donkey. "'I am going to Bremen, "'and shall be town musician there. "'Go with me and engage yourself also as a musician. "'I will play the lute, "'and you shall beat the kettle drum.' "'The hound agreed, and on they went. "'Before long they came to a cat "'sitting on the path, "'with a face like three rainy days. "'Now then, old shaver, "'what has gone askew with you?' "'asked the donkey.' can be merry when his neck is in danger,' answered the cat, "'because I am now getting old, and my teeth are worn to stumps, "'and I prefer to sit by the fire and spin rather than hunt about after mice. "'My mistress wanted to drown me, so I ran away. "'But now good advice is scarce. "'Where am I to go?' "'Go with us to Bremen, you understand night music.' "'so you can be a town musician.' "'The cat thought well of it, and went with them. "'After this, the three fugitives came to a farmyard, "'where the rooster was sitting upon the gate, "'crowing with all his might. "'Your crow goes through and through one,' said the donkey. "'What is the matter?' I have been foretelling fine weather, because it is the day on which our lady washes the Christ child's little shirts and wants to dry them, said the rooster. But guests are coming for Sunday, so the housewife has no pity, and has told the cook that she intends to eat me in the soup tomorrow, and this evening I am to have my head cut off. Now I am crowing at full pitch while I can, "'Ah, but Red Comb,' said the donkey, "'you had better come away with us. "'We are going to Bremen. "'You can find something better than death everywhere. "'You have a good voice, and if we make music together, "'it must have some quality.' "'The rooster agreed to this plan, and all four went on together. "'They could not, however, reach the city of Bremen in one day.' and in the evening they came to a forest where they meant to pass the night. The donkey and the hound laid themselves down under a large tree. The cat and the rooster settled themselves in the branches, but the rooster flew right to the top where he was most safe. Before he went to sleep, he looked round on all the four sides and thought he saw in the distance a little spark burning. So he called out to his companions that there must be a house not far off, for he saw a light. The donkey said, "'If so, we had better get up and go on, for the shelter here is bad.' The hound thought that a few bones with some meat on would do him good too. So they made their way to the place where the light was, and soon saw it shine brighter and grow larger until they came to a well-lighted robber's house.' The donkey, as the biggest, went to the window and looked in. "'What do you see, my grey horse?' asked the rooster. "'What do I see?' answered the donkey. "'A table covered with good things to eat and drink, "'and robbers sitting at it, enjoying themselves.' "'That would be the sort of thing for us,' said the rooster." then the animals took counsel together how they should manage to drive away the robbers, and at last they thought of a plan. The donkey was to place himself with his four feet upon the window ledge, the hound was to jump on the donkey's back, the cat was to climb upon the dog, and lastly the rooster was to fly up and perch upon the head of the cat. When this was done, At a given signal, they began to perform their music together. The donkey brayed, the hound barked, the cat mewed, and the rooster crowed. Then they burst through the window into the room so that the glass clattered. At this horrible din, the robbers sprang up, thinking no otherwise that a ghost had come in. "'and fled in a great fright out into the forest. "'The four companions now sat down at the table, "'well content with what was left, "'and ate as if they were going to fast for a month. "'As soon as the four minstrels had done, "'they put out the light, "'and each sought for himself a sleeping place "'according to his nature and to what suited him. "'The donkey laid himself down upon some straw in the yard, "'the hound behind the door,' The cat upon the hearth near the warm ashes, and the rooster perched himself upon a beam of the roof, and being tired with their long walk, they soon went to sleep. When it was past midnight, and the robbers saw from afar that the light was no longer burning in the house, and all appeared quiet, the captain said, We ought not to have let ourselves be frightened out of our wits, and ordered one of them to go and examine the house. The messenger, finding all still, went into the kitchen to light a candle, and taking the glistening, fiery eyes of the cat for live coals, he held a lucifer match to them to light it, "'but the cat did not understand the joke "'and flew in his face spitting and scratching. "'He was dreadfully frightened and ran to the back door, "'but the dog who lay there sprang up and bit his leg, "'and as he ran across the yard by the straw heap, "'the donkey gave him a smart kick with its hind foot. "'The rooster, too, who had been awakened by the noise "'and had become lively, cried down from the beam, Then the robber ran back as far as he could to his captain and said, Ah, there is a horrible witch sitting in the house who spat on me and scratched my face with her long claws and by the door stands a man with a knife who stabbed me in the leg and in the yard there lies a black monster who beat me with a wooden club and above, upon the roof, sits the judge who called out, Bring the rogue here to me! So I got away as well as I could. After this, the robbers did not trust themselves in the house again, but it suited the four musicians of Bremen so well that they did not care to leave it anymore, and the mouth of him who last told this story is still warm. Hans in Luck by the Brothers Grimm Hans had served his boss for seven years. He said to him, Dear boss, my time is up. Now I should be glad to go back home to my mother. Please give me my wages. The boss answered, You have served me faithfully and honestly. As the service was so, shall the reward be. And he gave Hans a piece of gold as big as his head. Hans pulled his handkerchief out of his pocket, wrapped up the lump in it, put it on his shoulder, and set out on the way home. As he went on, always putting one foot before the other, he saw a horseman trotting quickly and merrily by on a lively horse said hans quite loud what a fine thing it is to ride there you sit as on a chair you stumble over no stones you save your shoes and get on you don't know how the rider who had heard him stopped and called out hello hans why do you go on foot then I must, answered he, for I have this lump to carry home. It is true that it is gold, but I cannot hold my head straight for it, and it hurts my shoulder. I will tell you what, said the rider. We will exchange. I will give you my horse, and you can give me your lump. With all my heart, said Hans, but I can tell you, you will have to crawl along with it. The rider got down, took the gold, and helped Hans up, then gave him the bridle tight in his hands and said, If you want to go at a really good pace, you must click your tongue and call out, Chup, chup! Hans was heartily delighted as he sat upon the horse and rode away so bold and free. After a little while, he thought that it ought to go faster, and he began to click his tongue and call out, Chup, chup! Chup! The horse put himself into a sharp trot, and before Hans knew where he was, he was thrown off and lying in a ditch which separated the field from the highway. The horse would have gone off too if it had not been stopped by a countryman who was coming along the road and driving a cow before him. Hans got his limbs together and stood up on his legs again, but he was vexed and said to the countryman, It is a poor joke, this riding, especially when one gets hold of a mare like this that kicks and throws one off so that one has a chance of breaking one's neck. Never again will I mount it. Now I like your cow, for one can walk quietly behind her and have over and over her milk, butter, and cheese every day without fail. What I would not give to have such a cow Well, said the countryman, if it would give you so much pleasure, I do not mind giving the cow for the horse. Hans agreed with the greatest delight. The countryman jumped upon the horse and rode quickly away. Hans drove his cow quietly before him and thought Uh over his lucky bargain. If only I have a morsel of bread, and that can hardly fail me. "'I can eat butter and cheese with it as often as I like. "'If I am thirsty, I can milk my cow and drink the milk. "'Good heart, what more can I want?' "'When he came to an inn, he made a halt, "'and in his great content ate up what he had with him, "'his dinner and supper. "'And all he had with his last few farthings, "'he had a glass of tea.' Then he drove his cow onwards along the road to his mother's village. As it drew nearer midday, the heat was more oppressive, and Hans found himself upon a moor, which it took about an hour to cross. He felt it very hot, and his tongue claved to the roof of his mouth with thirst. I can find a cure for this, thought Hans. I will milk the cow now and refresh myself with milk. He tied her to a withered tree, and as he had no pail, he put his leather cap underneath. But try as he would, not a drop of milk came. And as he set himself to work in a clumsy way, the impatient beast at last gave him such a blow on his head with its hind foot that he fell on the ground and for a long time could not think where he was. By good fortune, a butcher just then came along the road with a wheelbarrow in which lay a young pig. "'What sort of a trick is this?' cried he, and helped the good Hans up. Hans told him what had happened. The butcher gave him his flask and said, "'Take a drink and refresh yourself. The cow will certainly give no milk. It is an old beast. At the best, it is only fit for the plough.' Well, well, said Hans as he stroked his hair down on his head. Who would have thought it? Certainly it is a fine thing when one can bring a beast like this home. But mm, a young pig like that, now, that is the thing to have. It would be so special for me to have such a fine beast. Harky, Hans, said the butcher. Out of love for you, I will exchange and will let you have the pig for the cow. Heaven repay you for your kindness, said Hans, as he gave up the cow, whilst the pig was unbound from the barrow, and the cord by which it was tied was put in his hand. Hans went on and thought to himself how everything was going, just as he wished. If he did meet with any vexation, it was immediately set right. Presently... "'There joined him a lad who was carrying a fine white goose under his arm. "'They said good morning to each other, "'and Hans began to tell of his good luck "'and how he had always made such good bargains. "'The boy told him that he was taking the goose to a christening feast. "Uh, "'Just lift her,' added he, "'and laid hold of her by the wings. "'How heavy she is!' "'She has been fattened up by the last eight weeks. "'Whoever has her will be so happy going forward.' "'Yes,' said Hans, as he weighed her in one hand. "'She is a good weight, but my pig is no bad one.' Meanwhile, the lad looked suspiciously from one side to the other and shook his head. "'Look here,' he said at length. "'It may not be all right with your pig.' In the village which I passed, the mayor himself had just had one stolen out of its sty. I fear, I fear that you have got hold of it there. They have sent out some people, and it would be a bad business if they caught you with the pig. At the very least, you would be shut up in the dark hole. The good Hans was terrified. Goodness, he said. Help me out of this fix. You know more about this place than I do. Take my pig and leave me your goose. I shall risk something at that game, answered the lad, but I will not be the cause of your getting into trouble. So he took the cord in his hand and drove away the pig quickly along a bypath. The good Hans, free from care, went homewards with the goose under his arm. When I think it over properly... He said to himself, I have even gained by the exchange. Why, now I have this beautiful goose with these beautiful white feathers. I will have my pillow stuffed with them, and then indeed I shall go to sleep without rocking. How glad my mother will be. As he was going through the last village, there stood a scissors grinder with his barrow. As his wheel whirled, he sang, I shall pin scissors and quickly grind. My coat blows out in the wind behind. Hans stood still and looked at him. As last he spoke to him and said, All's well with you, as you are so merry with your grinding. Yes, answered the scissors grinder. The trade has a golden foundation. A real grinder is a man who, as often as he puts his hand into his pocket, finds gold in it. But where did you buy that fine goose? I did not buy it, but exchanged my pig for it. And the pig? That I got for a cow. And the cow? I took that instead of a horse. And the horse? For that I gave a lump of gold as big as my head. And the gold? Well, that was my wages for seven years' service. You have known how to look after yourself each time, said the grinder. If you can only get on so far as to hear the money jingle in your pocket wherever you stand up, you will have made your fortune. How shall I manage that? said Hans. You must be a grinder as I am. "'Nothing particular is wanted for it but a grindstone. "'The rest finds itself. "'I have one here. "'It is certainly a little worn, "'but you need not give me anything for it but your goose. "'Will you do it?' "'How can you ask?' answered Hans. "'I should be the luckiest fellow on earth. "'If I have money whenever I put my hand in my pocket, "'what need I trouble about any longer?' "'and then he handed him the goose "'and received the grindstone in exchange. "'Now,' said the grinder, "'as he took up an ordinary stone that lay by him, "'here is a strong stone for you into the bargain. "'You can hammer well upon it "'and straighten your old nails. "'Take it with you and keep it carefully.' "'Hans loaded himself with the stones "'and went on with a contented heart. "'His eyes shone with joy.' I must have been born so lucky, he cried. Everything I want happens to me just as if I were a Sunday child. Meanwhile, as he had been on his legs since daybreak, he began to feel tired. Hunger also tormented him, for in his joy at the bargain by which he got the cow, he had eaten up all his store of food at once. At last, he could only go on with great trouble, and was forced to stop every minute the stones, too, weighed him down dreadfully. Then he could not help, thinking how nice it would be if he had not to carry them just then. He crept like a snail to a well in a field, and there he thought that he would rest and refresh himself with a cool draught of water. But in order that he might not injure the stones in sitting down, he laid them carefully by his side on the edge of the well. Then he sat down on it, and was to stoop and drink, when he made a slip, pushed against the stones, and both of them fell into the water. When Hans saw them with his own eyes sinking to the bottom, he jumped for joy, and then knelt down with tears in his eyes, and thanked the stars for having shown him this favor also, and delivered him in so good a way, and without his having any need to reproach himself from those heavy stones which had been the only things that troubled him. There is no man under the sun so fortunate as I, he cried out, with a light heart and free from every burden. He now ran on until he was with his mother at home. The End I hope you enjoyed today's stellar podcast episode of The Best Planet Storytime Stories You've Never Heard, as much as I enjoyed reading them to you. It just goes to show that while life is never easy, when we bring the best of ourselves to our situations, we have a good shot at making it through. Thanks so much for joining us today, and special thanks as always to Paxton Stanley for his tremendous music and production. Until next time, remember to keep using your imagination and see just how powerful your mind truly is. Goodbye for now.